Good morning. It's good to be together today. We appreciate each of you being here. Jason said we have some visitors with us today. We're especially grateful for you and invite you back when you can uh, join us to worship. We're glad to have you here today. As he said, we've been uh, studying the book of James the past couple times I spoke and kind of going through a series of studies on that. We'll do a quick refresher on that just to kind of remind of where we're at in the study because there's such a link between all these chapters. You might remember we talked about in James chapter one how he talks about using the scriptures or the word as a mirror for our lives and how he talked about looking, you know, the word being like a mirror that we can look into and, and not being like a man that looks into that mirror and, and sees his appearance and sees the things that he needs to change and, and the, the things he needs to do in his life and walk away from that and not take care of those things. But instead, we should look in that mirror and realize the, the cosmetic changes and know what's lying underneath and the things that we need to take care of in our life and go and act on those things and be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he went on into chapter two to talk about the link between faith and works. And we talked a lot about that and what, you know, what it means for a faith to be a working faith. And he said, you say, you, I have faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And how there's such a tight link between faith and works and how a true faith is a working faith and a faith that demonstrates those works day in and day out in our lives. And how important it is for our faith to, to do that and be such a working faith. And really, the entire book of James, I think the more I study this, the more I'm convinced that it is a book on faith and what faith means and what it means to have a true faith and all these different things. And so as we move into chapter three today, I wanna talk about the signs of a mature faith. We talked about chapter two being the measure of an authentic faith last time and what it means to have an authentic faith, that you don't look at someone and judge partiality when people come in and how we have respect for everybody and how our actions and how we treat people and the things that we do demonstrate that faith. And he leads into a study in chapter three on the tongue. And many of you have studied this chapter before and I've heard many lessons on this in my life, most of them titled Taming the Tongue. And I wanna, I wanna think about this chapter. Obviously, we're gonna talk about the tongue and what that means and and the, the warnings that are given to us in this chapter, but I wanna think about it in the context of the broader faith, the broader idea of what our faith looks like. And I believe he's teaching in chapter three that, that the way that we handle our tongue is the true sign of a maturing Christian, that it's a sign of what it means for our faith to become mature. And so I hope to demonstrate that to you this morning as we study about faith. You know, what do you think about when you think about a mature faith? You know, we think about maturity in general, Right? We mature in various aspects of our life. There's physical maturity. The signs of that are physical growth. Us guys start to get hair on our faces. At some point, the hair on our heads starts to fall out. There's, there's physical signs that show what it means to mature. Right? We hope our, our kids mature. What does that mean when we want our kids to mature? Well, we want them to start to think for themselves. We want them to start to be able to reason and use good judgment in the situations that they encounter. What does it mean to have a maturing faith? You know, I think about verses that talk about how as we mature in our faith that we become skillful in the word. We start to learn the word and, and as you mature in faith, you become, it, it equates that to, the, to, to a physical baby. And how as a, as a young child and a baby, we're, we drink milk, but as we mature, we start to have a need for strong meat. So I think about knowledge and wisdom and some of those kind of things. 
And I think all of that links together. There's certainly not one thing that you can point to and say it means you're, you have a mature faith if you do this. But I think maybe as we talk about the tongue this morning and the use of it, that maybe it, it's the clearest indicator of a mature faith or a barometer of a true faith. You think about instrumentation and weather instruments and things like that. They indicate what's going on, right? They indicate what is coming. And I believe that the way that we use our tongue and the way we interact with people with our speech is maybe the strongest indicator of where our faith is at. And I hope to demonstrate that to you this morning. As he starts off in, in verse number one, he makes a statement that we've heard before that says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If you look at this verse in the context of the chapter right before chapter two and everything that comes after it, it almost feels a little bit out of place because he's given this warning to teachers. And we talk about this verse in our teacher trainings. We've, we've talked about this in the last couple of months in our teacher trainings. We've talked about it a lot over the years as we talk about teacher trainings, but just the seriousness of what it means to be a teacher. And at the end of the day, James isn't really talking about teaching here. He's using teachers as a warning and, and the seriousness of what he's about to say. The tool of a teacher is speech and using the tongue. And I think he's setting up the rest of this chapter to say, look, teachers have a big role. They have a big responsibility. They're gonna be judged greater because of the things they say. And that should scare all of us that are, that are willing to teach. Or it should at least put a certain amount of reverence in us that the things that are gonna come out of our mouth are important. And the way that we use that and the way we interact with people on that, it's a big deal and it's a warning. And that's what he's setting up here. He's not setting up a lesson on all the things it means to be a teacher. He's warning teachers because of how big of an issue this is for each and every one of us. And then there's a greater, a greater judgment on teachers as they use this. And so I think it's very interesting how he started off this dialogue. He went straight from the length of faith and works to saying, not many of you should become teachers. And I'm about to tell you why, because we're gonna talk about the tongue and because the seriousness of what it means to deal with your tongue and how that impacts all of these other areas of our faith. And so I, as we talk about this this morning, I want you to think about that. Think about it in context of, context of your faith, not anybody else's faith or the overall faith of the congregation, what it means in the context of your faith. And think about all of the things that you say and how you talk to people and how you interact with people. If I think about all of the, significant problems that I've had in my life, some component of each of those problems was related to something I said or something I didn't say. And being skillful in using our tongue is so important to us as Christians and it's a significant sign of what it means to have a mature faith. Hope you enjoy the study of the morning. The first thing I wanna consider is the seriousness of the warning. You know, we talked a lot last week with Brother Brent Benoit here. And, you know, sometimes we, we kind of design our gospel meetings to have a certain theme. I don't think we, we specifically set a theme out for Brent and said, hey, we want you to talk about this all week. But if I were to put a theme on everything we talked about last week, I would say it was a theme of conviction. Everything that Brent talked about last week, it was convicting to me. And he talked about a lot of different types of things, but every one of them came back to something that really convicted me. And as I read verse number six in James, this is what I think about, just especially the recency of the meeting last week. He said, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire, 
the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. And I don't know, this chapter, it really is a chapter on imagery, and he kind of uses imagery as his metaphors in this chapter. I don't know how you get any stronger in your imagery than that, that the tongue is set on fire by hell. And that if that doesn't kind of slap us in the face on the seriousness of the tongue, I don't know how to do it. And I think that's exactly what he's intending to do with this chapter. He's saying, hey, I'm talking to you about all these things about faith, right? You can look in the mirror and evaluate yourself and decide to get your own house in order, and that's good. You should do that. And then you can prove that your faith is authentic by, by the works that you do, and you can do all that. And then you can turn around and use your tongue and wipe it all out in the blink of an eye. The way that we deal with our tongue can destroy everything in our lives. And he uses a lot of imagery in this chapter to demonstrate that. And I've seen that in my life. I've seen it in the way that I have handled situations and the results of the, and the impact of that. I've seen it in other people and how they handle situations with that. And it's something that we should think a lot about and work on and practice and use the word to become better at because it directs our entire body. It directs everything. He said, it's the entire course of life is dictated by the tongue. I was reading an article on a man as I was doing some studies around this and he, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know, call it a quote or whatever you want to call it, but he made a statement that our tongues are so often the most obvious index of that ungodly desire at the center of our being. Think about what he's saying there. Our tongues are most often the obvious index of the evil inside us. And you think about all the evil and sinful thoughts and actions that we that we have in our lives, the tongue is what shows that from, t- from time to time. The tongue is the product of that. The things that we say reflect that. And I think it's just such a strong indicator of how serious we should take this. And as we study about the tongue today, I hope to demonstrate that indicator and, and think about it with respect to where our faith is at. And I, you know, I think about you start looking at the scriptures and doing searches on the tongue and the impact of it. You can obviously find lots of examples of how people interacted with other people in the Bible and the things that they said and talked about. But James chapter three really is kind of the the biggest single uh, sustained discussion about the tongue in the scriptures. So I think it's a a perfect area to, to center this discussion around. Proverbs chapter four and verse number 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. And then similarly in Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 11, he says, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And we could really spend all of this discussion really in James and Proverbs. I talked about last time or really both the previous times, I think, when I um, was kind of talking about the lesson I was going to do, I talked about James and how it's, it's been called Proverbs of the New Testament, right? And really, with respect to this one conversation, it really does hold true. You can, you can really spend this entire conversation in James. You can spend this entire conversation in Proverbs. And there's, there's dozens of scriptures in Proverbs that you can go pull out for supporting scriptures on this. Go do a search and just look at all the ways that this is addressed in Proverbs. And they're simple, easy to understand explanations and metaphors for what we can mess up with our mouths. 
But the fact that there's so many of them to me is indicative of how big of a deal this is. Go look at them. Just go do simple searches in your, on the Bible app on your phone and see how many hits you get in Proverbs on this. It's fascinating to me. The one thing that I wanna point out with this, obviously the seriousness of the warning, but the why behind that. And I think you know, a lot of times we don't do a great job on the whys, right? And I, the older I get, kind of the more important and more, the more I value the why behind things, right? You can tell your kids because I said so, but if you can really demonstrate to them the why you want them to do something, you, you get a whole lot more credibility and leadership capital in the things that you want them to do. And the why with respect to the tongue is this, is because the things that come out of your mouth show what's in your heart. The things that we say and the things that we do, if you wanna know what's important to somebody, let them talk for a little bit. You'll see what's on their mind. You'll see what's important to them. You'll see what's bothering them currently. Maybe they've got a current stress or something. They're gonna talk about it. And our speech gives that stuff away. You wanna see what kind of face somebody has? Listen to them talk for a little bit. Listen to how they interact with other people, the way their conversation is. Are they meek and gentle in that conversation? Are they proud and belligerent in their conversation? You can learn a lot about somebody's faith by the way they talk. And we talked last time about the fact that, you know, whether faith is or isn't seen. You know, I talked about it being like, like calories. You can't, all, you, know, you can't always see them, but you can sure see the results of that. That's because of the tongue. You can see the results of that because of action, the actions we take and because of what comes out of our mouth. And that's why it's so serious because the, the way that we talk and the way that we use our tongue reflects our heart. Is our heart in a position that says it's an authentic faith? Are we doing the things God's asked us to do? Do our words reflect that? Does our speech reflect that? Or does it reflect something completely different? Let's think about that link between the tongue and the heart and how powerful that is. Now, James uses three uh, kind of graphical examples of the tongue here. And I wanna talk about each of those individually. And it's really, I think they're very, really powerful examples. I tried to find pictures that are representative of the examples as well. But the first one in verse number three, he says, if we put bits into the mouth, mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I don't know a lot about horses or, or livestock or any of that stuff as well, but I've seen how they work. You know, And you think about these bits that he's talking about, and you can't even see the bit in the picture, right? It's this part that runs right through the mouth and somebody in here can probably educate us on that better than I can. But think about if you've ever seen or ridden a horse, I have ridden horses before. It's so fascinating that you have this 1500 pound beast that you can control with just the slightest movement of the hand because of this thing that's in his mouth. And I think the, the lesson there is in how disproportionate the results are with our tongue. And that's a big word for a guy like me that's not very good at English. But what that means is the results of the action are far greater than the action itself. You know, I think back to math class and you start doing things like graphing and you're plotting curves on, on a two axis, you know, putting points on that and plotting curves and all that. And I remember them talking about, uh, you know, results being fairly linear in nature and then results you know, that, that aren't linear in nature, results that have um, far, far disproportionate outcomes. Exponential is the word I was struggling for there. You have exponential results. So you have some kind of cause and the result of that is exponential. That's the way the tongue works. We do, a, in my job, we'd have to do quarterly financial reviews at the bank. And part of that is they talk about, 
uh, you know, the growth of the bank. And the bank I work for is currently in a mode where they're trying to acquire other banks and really grow the asset base of the company. And they talk about as, as we grow that, they want the results to be far, the results in terms of the income and assets to be far greater than the results in terms of the expense line. So you grow expenses at this rate, but you grow income at this rate. It's exponential. They want to see not a one-for-one, one, you know, a one-for-one one change in that. And that's the way the tongue works. And that's what he's describing here, this little bitty piece of hardware that doesn't really move. It's just a static piece of metal. But it yanks on that horse just enough and causes just enough discomfort, and it moves this entire animal. And that's the way that our tongues work. It's so disproportionate. And I think that's one of the big warnings with this, right? It's that we don't understand that. We think we can make the offhanded comment or the backhanded comment and it not do anything. And it might cause us two weeks worth of damage control we got to go do in repair relationship or whatever. That's the way the tongue works. It's very disproportionate. The second example that he uses here, in verse number four, he says, look at the ships. Also, that though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The second thing that I think he's really trying to get across to us in this chapter is just the nature of how destructive misusing the tongue is. And certainly this morning, we're not gonna talk a lot about um, all of the positive things that you can do with the tongue. That's a critical part of being a Christian as well. Maybe we'll come back and hit that with another one. But the warning in this chapter is all about the misuse of it. And so that's what we're addressing. But obviously we want to be, we want to be skillful in what we do with the tongue. We want, to, we want to affect positive things. We want to affect good change and things like that. But the truth is misusing it always leads to destructive things. It's always destructive. You might remember, as we think about this analogy of the ship, you might remember the story this this year, the this, this ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal and how that turned into such a global conversation. You know, is this, this ship blocked this canal and it just brought certain aspects of global trade to its knees. There's so much stuff runs through this in terms of global trade that it was just people were going nuts about it. It was affecting stock markets worldwide and oil supply and all this other stuff, right? And you think about how, I don't, I don't know the engineering on this ship, but it the, the steering mechanism on it relative to the size of the ship is fairly insignificant. And you think about how it works with a, with a boat, right? That one little rudder can guide where this thing goes. And certainly somebody misused the steering mechanism on this ship at some point and it caused significant problems. And that's the way it works with our tongue. You make one little slip up, one little misguided turn in navigation and it all blows up. And it's so destructive. And so the challenge is the fact that misusing it never leads to positive results. And that's the danger in the warning here. You know, sometimes we get by and it's not, you know, it's not horribly significant, but it almost always causes problems. And it's almost always destructive. It's an interesting uh, metaphor here about this ship, how such a, such a large vessel is controlled by a very tiny thing. The third warning he gives, and I think maybe the most, uh, the most visually impacting of the warnings here is in verse number five. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
Think about all the times that I remember in my life hearing about forest fires and these wildfires that always make the news and you know they end up burning for weeks and weeks and seems like almost all cases you always find out somebody flicked a cigarette out the car window or you know there was a family camping and they left a campfire unattended and then all of a sudden Yellowstone is burning for months, right? We just went to Yellowstone last month or this month on a family vacation and there's parts of the park that um, you know, have had significant fire damage over the years. And you can see the results of that still. You still see the, you know, the trees that are bare and large, large patches of land that, are, that were just devastated at some point. And I think the interesting part of that is, number one, that was many, many years ago. So the, the lesson to me is, yeah, this was hugely destructive at the time, but decades later, you still see the effects of that. And I think that's one of the problems with our tongue as well, right? It, not only is it super destructive in nature, but sometimes it's long-lasting. And we make a significant mistake in a relationship with somebody, and we say something we can't take back or easily take back. People feel the effects of that for generations, and it destroys lives and relationships, and it causes all kinds of significant problems. And we, when, we, when we misuse the tongue, it, you know, it's not only destructive, but it's long-lasting. And I think this imagery of the forest fires is the, the perfect analogy there. And you know, when people talk about taming the tongue, a lot of times you see the, the graphics or the imagery is somebody's taken and Photoshopped the, the tongue sticking out with fire burning out of it. And it's because it's so impactful, and that's exactly what it does. You don't think flicking the cigarette's gonna destroy, you know, counties, but you don't think that opening your mouth's gonna cause some significant damage either, but yet it does over and over again. And it's devastating in its nature. And I think one of the significant problems with it and one of the challenges with all of the things that we experience in our life that are sinful or negative in nature is how inconsistent we are with it. And he talks about that in verse number nine. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond, salt pond yield fresh water. Think about all the ways that we're inconsistent with stuff. And he, again, keeps using this kind of imagery to talk about these things. But he's saying, look, the way you deal with your tongue is so inconsistent, you'll sit here in church and sing praises to God and talk, thank God for all your blessings and say prayers of thanks and honor, and you'll get up here and teach lessons from his word, and you'll walk out in the foyer and talk about your brother behind his back. We're so inconsistent with what we do with these things, and it gets us into trouble because of it. And that inconsistency just over and over again bites us. And think about all the, all the different things you say and how you do this. I know I do this all the time. And yet we don't think about it. It's just second nature. It's second nature to go gossip. It's second nature to get a dig in on somebody because we don't like something about them. He's saying these people are made after the image of God and you'll take a shot at them. And I think this inconsistency also demonstrates just that we don't, a lack of, a lack of awareness about it, Right? It becomes so second nature. We do all these different things that we're not even aware that we're doing them half the time. We're not even aware that we're taking shots at people. It's just what we do, right? We're not aware that we're gossiping. We're not aware that we're undercutting people. And that's what he's warning us about. 
Let's be better about that. I think we can do a lot better job of being consistent with that. And as we think about it, again, in the context of what it means to have a mature faith, right? A mature faith thinks about these things. A mature faith maybe holds the comment in instead of saying the comment. And I'm person number one in line on all this. There's people in this room that can attest to the fact that this is not my strong suit. You know, we're big, strong guys. We want to give it a piece of our mind. We want to throw our opinion out there. We want to be heard. We want to be valued for what we can say and what we know. I want to tell you how you're doing things wrong. That's how we work a lot of times. That doesn't mean it's right. We're so inconsistent with that. I think we can do a better job of that. And as we think about all of these different metaphors he uses and descriptions that he uses, one thing really stuck out to me, and I've read this chapter a lot of times in my life. I've seen these verses. It's not like these are some obscure verses hiding in some minor prophet in the Old Testament. These are verses we talk about regularly. And I have never realized what he says here in verse seven and number eight. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I've read these verses all my life and I've heard many sermons on this and I've heard many of them titled Taming the Tongue. And the truth is you can't do it. It's not possible. You cannot tame the tongue. And I think that may be the most significant of the warnings in this chapter. It's not doable. It's an impossible task. And that ought to really hit us in the face to say, we got to be better on this. The fact that it's, it, it's kind of like talking about sinlessness in general, right? We know it's not achievable, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. But he says you can't tame it. You can't do it. You think about all the, all the beasts, and he, talks, he lists the animals, right? We've tamed all these things. We can put the little piece of metal in the horse's mouth, and that thing's going to do what we want it to do. It's going to turn when we say turn. It's going to speed up. It's going to slow down but you can't bridle the tongue. There is no piece of metal strong enough to bridle the tongue. And as Christians, we've got to be mindful of that and we've got to understand the warning and we've got to do better. And it's probably an indicator of how little, how much less we should use it. If you can't do anything good with it, you probably should keep it shut, right? And I think all of those types of practical things, not opening it as much, thinking a lot more before you talk, all those practical things are probably good lessons in how we move closer to doing this. It cannot be tamed. I think it's both interesting and intentional as to why he moves into this in chapter three, because he's talking all this stuff about faith, right? All that, what it means to have the right kind of faith in one and two, right? Reflect on yourself, make changes that shows that you're not just hearing the word, but you're willing to do it. Go produce good works. Treat people the way they should be treated without partiality. Make sure your works are reflective of your faith, that your faith is not dead. And a big way that you do that is by getting this under control, by being able to handle your tongue in a skillful way. You want a mark of an authentic faith or a mature faith? Get your tongue under control. I saw a quote from a man named Bruce Waltke. He said, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. Isn't that true? We can can do so much damage and we're so foolish with how we interact with people sometimes and how we, the things that we say and the things that we do. 
And we always cut our own throat with it, always. Very interesting. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse number 34, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, will you be condemned. That ought to scare us a little bit. That kind of makes you want to stick that thing out and whack it off. Every, every word that we speak, we will give account of. That, that makes me a little bit nervous about things. You know, all the things that I've said and done in my life, and we ought to be a little bit, we ought to be a little bit taken back by that. And I think, it, I think that just reinforces this idea that it cannot be tamed. You think about all the ways that we communicate, even in our jobs, right? I, I remember a guy telling me one time, I think it's, you know, somebody famous has talked about this, Warren Buffett or one of those guys, I don't know. But I had a boss tell me one time, you know, you see people, how they communicate with email, right? And, and you, there's a whole other side to that because you take out all the ability to read body language and understand tone and all that kind of stuff. But he said, hey, if you, if you ever get where you want to send one of those emails where you just want to let somebody have it, he said, sit down, type that email up, you know, say everything you want to say, and then put your finger on the backspace key and erase it all and delete the email because there's just no good going to come of it. And I think sometimes that's how we ought to behave with our tongue, right? We, we just open the mouth and let everything out and you can't take it back, right? Maybe we should go in the corner and say it to ourselves in the mirror and get it all out and then shut up about it. And then we reduce our problems immensely. I've heard, I've heard other people say, you know, that it's, it's better to, to keep your mouth shut and, and let people wonder if you're an, an idiot versus opening your mouth and removing all the doubt of that. <laughs> That's kind of how it works. And there, there's actually a proverb, Proverbs chapter 17. He says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You know, we think all these great sayings and they always come back to the Bible, right? Somebody has a great quote and we give somebody credit for it and then there's always something that Solomon said that's where they took it from. How much smarter we look when we just keep our mouths shut, right? Before we say something and, and let everybody see that we don't know what we're talking about. The tongue cannot be tamed. It's, it's not possible to do. Now, verse number two, I intentionally skipped over at least earlier, kind of in, in order that it comes in the chapter because I think this is really the tie-in verse of the whole chapter. In verse number two, he says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And we know we talk about that word perfect, right? What that means in the scriptures, a complete man, somebody that does not stumble in what he says is a complete man, able to also bridle his whole body. And I think that's really the tie-in verse in all this, the fact that it really is a mark of a mature faith. You want to be a complete Christian? Don't stumble in what you say. Don't stumble by using your mouth. And all this other stuff will have a way of working itself out. The, the way you deal with problems, the way you interact with people, the way you solve relationship issues, all of that is so much easier if you don't mess it up by opening your mouth. And I think the mastery of the tongue is, is probably one of the clearest marks of what it means to have a mature faith or be a mature Christian. 
or a complete Christian, as he says here. Saw another quote that said, vocal holiness includes both gracious speech and silence. So, you know, when you're gonna open your mouth, make sure you're doing something good with that. Make sure that the product of what you say and how you're using that builds people up, helps people, you know, correct, you can correct people, you can help with correct, corrective actions, but how you do that matters. You know, what you say to people, what you comment on, but also what you don't comment on, what you don't say, and the things you choose to keep to yourself, all of that will help us with our vocal holiness as he described it. And as we think about what it means to have godly speech and how we do with that, he, he moves on here at the end of the chapter and kind of addresses, addresses what that means and how we fix that. In verse number 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he, talks, he moves into talking about this idea that wisdom, godly wisdom is really the impact of all this. As we, as we become wiser, as we think more about what God wants us to do, as we understand the scriptures more and know what, how you would have us to behave, it affects what we say. And it influences when we choose to say things and why we choose to say things and what we choose to say and if we choose to say it. Wisdom's at the root of that. Verse number 17, he says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, I think about, as we just think about the life of Jesus and all the scenarios that we read about with him, how he interacted with people in his ministry, we would, we would fail if we didn't mention that. We don't have time to read all those examples, but next time you're reading about some, one of his interactions, think about it in context of just his speech. Think about the woman caught in adultery and how he used his speech with her and how he used his speech with her accusers. Think about all those interactions that he had. And it's so fascinating how he could both convict people in a way, you know, that wasn't condemning necessarily, in a way that wasn't harsh and abrasive. And he could comfort people and he could mend relationships. It's fascinating to me. And fixing our speech comes from that godly wisdom. And I think that means sometimes we understand that it, it doesn't mean we should voice our opinion. It means we don't have to give people a piece of our mind and what we think about it. It means that, yeah, sticks and stones do break bones, but the truth is that words really do hurt. Maybe, maybe of all the cliches that we have in our society, that may be the, the biggest lie of all of them, right? The truth of the matter is words hurt. And I know the spirit of that is for, you know, to encourage people to not let words hurt them, right? It's a, it's a personal thing, but the truth is they do hurt and they cause problems all the time. And many times physical pain is far less destructive than the pain that comes from the words. Think about verse number 17 relative to our speech. You know, does the speech we have reflect this wisdom? Does it reflect that we are seeking peace? Are we peaceable in our speech? Or are we confrontational and abrasive? Are we gentle? Are we rough? Are we open to reason? Or is it my way or the highway? Are you willing to listen to people? Are you willing to have honest conversations Willing to consider the fact that you might be wrong about something? That's a hard one. Are we full of mercy? As he said there, all these things that he lists, are we, 
you know, full of mercy. We talked about that last time, mercy over judgment, right? James chapter two. Preferring mercy over judgment. Does our, does our speech reflect that? Does it reflect that our works reveal our faith? Does it reflect that we're impartial in how we deal with other people? All of these things that he's been talking about. Or are we influenced by those things? We can fix that with godly wisdom. How mature is your faith this morning? And how does your speech indicate that? Think about that. Think about that as you go about your day this week. You know, think about the things that you say. Is that reflective of your faith? We say a lot of things on a day-to-day basis. There was some statistic I came across and I didn't, I didn't write it down, but talked about just the number of words the average human says every week. And it's like thousands and thousands and thousands. We say thousands of words every day, probably. What are we doing with them? What is it, how does it reflect our faith? You know, is a tiny little match gonna strike a fire that you can't put out and do so much destruction you can't take it back? That's the signs of a mature faith. Hope you've enjoyed the study the morning. Again, this book is just so practical as we read through it and think about the things that he talks about and what, it, what we can do in everyday life, right? There's some, I think, topics in the scriptures that are challenging and hard doctrinal and hard things to wrap your head around. James isn't one of those. It's pretty straightforward. And it's so practical with everyday living type of stuff. It's just a tremendous book to study and think about. And I hope it benefits you as much as it has me. If you're here this morning and you have any need that the church can help with, whether that's uh, understanding the need of your sinful condition and understand what it means to be obedient to the gospel and how you can change things in that way, or if you have any need that the church can help you, pray with you, and assist you in any way, we want to offer an invitation at this time if you would have a seat here on the front as we sing this invitation song. <laughs>